Support for the Trailblazers.fm podcast comes from the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership network of more than 5,000 members all across the country working to improve the life outcomes of our black men and boys. I'm so excited to share that on Thursday, October 18th, CBMA will be celebrating their 10th year anniversary and commemorate a decade of growth and impact for the Black Male Achievement Movement. Now, this gala is going to be honoring Tanya Allen of the Skillman Foundation, one of our past guests, John Rogers Jr., the CEO of Aerial Investments, and George Soros, founder of the Open Society Foundations. To learn more about purchasing tickets to the gala or If you'd like to become a sponsor for the event, please visit blackmailachievement.org or you can shoot me an email, steven at tvpod.com. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Trailblazers.fm podcast. We are continuing into the fifth episode of our Trailblazer Entrepreneurs series. It's been a terrific series so far. And if you're an entrepreneur, or maybe you're an aspiring entrepreneur, even if you're in a leadership role right now, I highly recommend going back and listening to the series in its entirety. So far, we feature Janice Bryant-Holroyd, Joshua Esnod, Stephen and Sterling Carter, and Nicole Roberts-Jones. Some amazing wisdom and mission fuel are packed into these episodes. And I've received so many warm and kind DMs and emails and comments. Let me know how these episodes are impacting you. And I have to say this, I really appreciate you guys reaching out, right? I enjoy getting to know many of you for the first time who have been listening for some time. It's lonely out here as a podcaster, right? Last month, I think we had nearly 10,000 downloads across our episodes and only know a few dozen of you personally. So if you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp, you know, reach out, connect. Let me know that you're part of our Blazer Nation community and that you're listening. It helps me to put a face to the numbers that I'm seeing, right? And check it. We're down to the last two episodes of the series right now. And this week, I'm so excited. We're featuring none other than Mr. Joshua Dubois. For those of you unfamiliar with Joshua, he's a CNN contributor, author, and CEO. And Joshua is one of the country's top voices on community partnerships, religion in the public square, and issues impacting African-Americans. He led the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships in President Obama's first term and was called a president's pastor-in-chief by Time Magazine. He's the author of the best-selling book, The President's Devotional, The Daily Readings That Inspired President Obama, a compilation of the devotional meditations he shared with the president and narratives of faith in public life. Today, Joshua leads a consulting firm called Values Partnerships, and they develop creative engagement campaigns for diverse sectors and audiences provide strategic advice on complex issues, and markets and produce films and television programs with meaning and value. Blazer Nation, join me right now in welcoming today's featured trailblazer, Mr. Joshua Dubois. Enjoy. Joshua, thank you so much, my brother, for coming on and sharing in this conversation with me tonight. Brother, it's an honor to be on with you. I've been excited about this podcast and what you're doing for a long time, and so it's great to connect. Yes. 
So, you know, I found that one of my rituals for every conversation on the podcast is to start things off from a place of gratitude. So I'd love to ask you what's an unexpected blessing that you're most grateful for in your life right now. Sure. Man, I continue to be grateful for my kids. I have uh, almost three-year-old August and eight-month-old Adelaide. And Adelaide has this wide gummy grin, no teeth in her mouth right now. But every time, you know, she surprises me with a big smile, I'm kind of overwhelmed with gratitude. Lately, man, I've been grateful for nature. I started kayaking a few months ago, Stephen. Nice. It's real. It sounds intense, but it's really not. It's the laziest river in the world. I can literally put my feet up on the side of the kayak and take a nap, which I often do. And so, man, I'm grateful for those times for a wife who allows me to take some of those times out on the river. But yeah, those are a few immediate things coming to mind, but grateful for a lot of things. But those are top of mind. Joshua, I have an image in my mind of you in a tube on a lazy river pool, <laughs> calling it kayaking. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. But I got my hat down over my eyes, literally That's taking right. a nap on the water, brother. <laughs> it is a sight to behold. <laughs> That's right. Listen, I saw that you were raised in Nashville and parts of Ohio. Isn't that right? That's right. Yep. What comes to mind when you think about growing up in those areas? Man, church is a big thing that comes to mind. My stepfather, but I consider him my dad, is a minister in the AME church. And so I spent most of my waking non-school hours in a sanctuary (laughs) or a fellowship hall. That's kind of a definitive and important part of my childhood. You know, football was a part of my childhood. I enjoyed playing sports. I was not very good at it, but enjoyed it. I found my passion for social justice and for the least of these around us as a young child. And so that sort of shaped, you know, my childhood and just, you know, family. Family was very important in Nashville and in Ohio as well. Wow. That's awesome. So I saw that you attended BU, Boston University for undergrad and went on to Princeton for your master's. And, you know, (laughs) one thing I caught here, I saw you pledged Alpha Phi Alpha. You're Alpha Man. I did, yes. And I have to tell you, you know, I was beginning to worry that alphas were boycotting the podcast. Oh, man. Like, probably four to out to the frat. I'm sorry <laughs> if we've been stonewalling you. I apologize. No, listen, <laughs> maybe like four of the first 10 guests we had on were like Kappas. Oh, no, I got to <laughs> hang up now, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, man, I need to tilt this thing back, you know? Thanks for tilting, brother. (laughs) (laughs) But before we talk about your work with Values Partnerships, you know, I wanted wanted to share first off with the audience, right? Uh, Joshua is not yet 40 years old. And in fact, I'll share, I think you're about the same age as my wife, and yet you've been dubbed one of you know, I have to stop most- you there. Never talk about your wife's age on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You've been married long enough to know Listen. that that was a major faux pas. <laughs> Listen, man, Blazer Nation is used to me sharing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Probably too much. So. <laughs> but good point. <laughs> well, I didn't say how old you are, right? <laughs> but you've been dubbed one of the 33 most influential Christian leaders, and The Root and Ebony Magazine named Joshua among their lists of the most influential African Americans in the country, which is pretty mind boggling, but truly amazing. And so I lift my hat to you on those accolades. But Wanted to ask your thoughts on what's helped you to become successful, right? Despite being, you know, a super smart brother, I'm sure you had to deal with the challenges of being young, black, 
and a Christian man in these political streets? Yeah, man, it's a big question. I would say a few things and, you know, can certainly apply them to specific circumstances. First and foremost, in a very practical way, and it can almost sound trite or it's just something that people say, but my faith has been sort of an anchor for my life. I've found myself in positions and moments that were just kind of could have otherwise been overwhelming. And I know that I was placed there only because of the grace of God and practical ways, me sort of doggedly pursuing a relationship with God and with my faith. And so that has been important. It has been very much imperfect and uneven, but, you know, continually coming back to that center is important. I also have had this impulse of just being hungry, man, just hungry for more, just a constant drive forward. And even when there were countervailing impulses, you know, self-doubt, of which I've had a lot, imposter syndrome, which I think we all go through, and I certainly have, fear of a new move, a new position, a new of saying the wrong thing, of not completing, not doing. My hunger overrode the fear. And when I stepped up to the edge of various cliffs, my impulse, even with the fear that was certainly there, was to jump and just trust that the heavens would open up and that, you know, somehow, somehow I would soar. And so I think it's, you know, that impulse to just go and (laughs) to do has been helpful all along. And, you know, some good mentors along the way as well. But yeah, th- those are a few things that I think have helped out. Most importantly, just grace, faith, and a, uh, a spirit that in the face of an obstacle, in the face of tremendous doubt and worry, just said, you know, let's leap out there and see what happens. I love that you shared that because I was thinking to myself, in spite of all the success, like how you managed to stay so grounded. And of course, but God, <laughs> which is awesome. And, you know, of course, I've read about you being dubbed a pastor in chief and leading the White House faith-based initiative during Obama's first term. You're only 26 years old and you served a president for years before that as well. And, you know, just trying to think how you cultivated this mindset that allowed you to dream big and live out those dreams at such a young age, right? Was that the hunger that kind of drove that mindset? You know, I wish I could say that it was always about sort of a bigger vision, me having in mind a place I wanted to go and then trying to get there. But it was really more of, I will say, and I I try not to pat myself on the back too much because I still have so much more that God needs to do with me in places that I want to go. But I will say that I have always had a focus on being excellent at the thing that's happening right now, Mm. right? And this is one of the things I counsel you know, young brothers and sisters who work for me now and our current company interns we've had and so forth that, you know, I encounter many who are focusing on their brand in the long run and, you know, they're 21 or, you know, they're focusing on their next 10, 20, 30 year vision, which is important, but they're missing sometimes the notion of being absolutely excellent, thoroughly, you know, excellent in the space, the role that's right in front of them at that moment. I felt at different points in my life that my responsibility was to maximize the role that I had right then and there. You know, for example, I took an internship when I was in undergrad at BU, and it was basically an administrative internship with a magazine that Boston University published. I was, you know, getting coffee and making copies. And I pitched the managing director there on if I could be the marketing coordinator, the marketing manager, and help them get the magazine into new bookstores. And I would take them around to bookstores and set up consignment programs and so forth. And they, you know, they were impressed by that. And that led to a recommendation for the next job. 
I was, when I started working for then Senator Obama before he was president, before he ran for president, I was a legislative correspondent, which meant I wrote letters, constituent letters to people that wrote him. And one day he decided he wanted to give a speech about his faith. And he asked if anyone was around that, you know, was interested in faith and politics and could help him with that speech. And I raised my hand and leaned in and sort of helped him there. And so it really is, I think the helpful thing for me has been not actually looking too far beyond my current position, trusting God for that long view, but really maximizing whatever is in front of me right now. I love that, man. I love that. You know, I always, I've been thinking on this mantra right now about execution of excuses and Mm -hmm. and trying to process just that, you know, like execute what you need to execute right now and not live in excuses of why you can't. But absolute excellence right now is a really good one. I'll add to the arsenal. (laughs) Uh, So you've now reinvented yourself and it's led to you creating values partnerships. And I'd love for you to maybe share a little bit about what organization is about and why you were inspired to start this project when you did. Sure. So yeah, so I worked for first Senator and then President Obama for a number of years on the Senate office and his campaign, I led his faith-based sort of mobilizing in 2008 and then worked in the White House leading his faith-based initiative. And then did that for the whole first term. And when we turned the corner and got reelected and moved into the second term, just felt a calling from God to do something different. And so mm-hmm. I did a few things. I, I wrote a book with the president's blessing called The President's Devotional, a book of devotionals based on the ones that I send him every morning and got married and started a family. And then you know, the other piece was I started a company. I had worked in the public sector, worked in the nonprofit sector, but wanted to prove to myself that I could build out a significant company in the private sector that meets real needs. And so that's what Values Partnerships is. We're a social impact consulting firm, and we do three big things. First, we produce and promote films and TV shows that have a social impact, that have an impact on the people that watch them. And so we're the lead agency for communities of color for A&E networks. So that's A&E History Channel, Lifetime, FYI. We do a lot of work with HBO, with the Oprah Winfrey Network, Paramount Pictures and others. And whenever they have a project that connects to communities of color or communities of faith, they hire us to sort of build a big promotional and marketing and outreach campaign that gets viewers invested in the project. So we led the marketing and publicity campaigns for films like Fences uh, for Selma with Ava DuVernay and Oprah Winfrey. We built the campaign for the remake of Roots on the History Channel. And increasingly of late, we've started producing our own projects. And so we, my wife and I were executive producers of a documentary on President Obama's legacy called The 44th President in His Own Words that aired on the History Channel around the time that President Obama was leaving office. And we're honored that it actually won NAACP Image Award for Best Documentary. And so that's the first thing we do for Values Partnerships. We produce and promote films and TV shows that have a social impact. Second thing we do is we advise a range of clients on tough issues related to race and religion. So for example, we work with Thomas Jefferson's Monticello, Jefferson's presidential home in Charlottesville, Virginia. Jefferson was obviously one of our most important founding fathers, but he also owned people. He owned slaves. And Monticello wanted to figure out how they could not run away from this history, but in fact, face it head on. And they hired us three years ago, and we've been on a important and enriching journey to help them bring the legacy of slavery to the forefront in that space. Um, that culminated in some ways a few weeks ago, where with the opening of a room and an exhibit at Monticello dedicated to Sally Hemings, the enslaved woman with whom Jefferson had children. And so it's been an amazing journey working with them and kind of really helping to shape history in that way. We're, we're honored to do that. 
We work with companies like Google. We help them partner with churches around the country to close the digital divide. And just a range of clients that you know are facing challenges or have big questions that they need to resolve at the intersection of race and sometimes religion as well, we help them do that. And then the third thing, which is completely separate, is we're actually launching a tech company called Gage. It's mobile focus groups with influencers and experts. We realized in our growing client work that our clients, you know, all the folks I just mentioned and others needed quick feedback from the right people. They were doing just focus groups in person, but they weren't always reaching the right people. And so we push questions and content out to curated communities of smart, influential people, compensate them for sharing their responses and get really great feedback back to our clients. And so Gage, is working with brands and companies like NBC Universal and AE and others. So we're building out basically a tech platform called Gage. So those are the three kind of different but somewhat connected things production and promotion, advisory services, and a new tech company called Gage. Joshua, my jaw is on the ground right now, Bridgerton. <laughs> listen, man. Oh, listen, guys, all this while you got an eight month old and a three year old. Yeah, brother. And hey, listen, I try to wrap it up early so I can see these babies before sunset too. Oh so. my gosh, brother. I, I feel yeah. like I'm wasting my life right now. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> Nathan, what, what at the core of this, right? Like what's the mission? What's driving you? Like what's your vision that you see 30 years out from now? Yeah, I believe there's tremendous untapped wisdom in communities, in everyday people. And I believe in closing the gap between you know, brands, organizations, institutions, and the communities that have all the knowledge, right? And, and so we work to help the, our clients connect with these communities and build great things. And through Gage, we're trying to drive actual revenue to smart people in communities themselves. You know, I just had this notion that, you know, everyone is good at something. Everyone has a God-given talent and expertise, but so often those talents aren't recognized. They're not lauded or compensated and so forth. We try to find really smart people, even if they're not, you know, bold-faced names in one place or another, but honor them for who they are and the wisdom that God has given them and connect them to people that could benefit from that wisdom and make sure that, you know, the communities are benefiting as well. So it really is about closing the gap between brilliant people, particularly in communities of color that I care so deeply about and the brands and organizations that we work with, bringing them together so that both can benefit. I am loving this, man. Loving it, loving it. So coming back to it, I mean, like your education, your past career work, of course you're leading, but you didn't really go to B school, right? And now you're CEO of a company and it's no walk in the park, right? Yeah, yeah. But what have you seen? That said, you've also had the experience of looking at some and seeing firsthand some really great CEOs at work. I wanted to get you to maybe share what some of the skills are that you believe make a great CEO. Yeah. Well, one, I have to say I've had some great, a couple really great mentors, a brother named Marlon Buckner. He's the husband of one of my former bosses in the White House, Melody Barnes. And Marlon was kind of like my company starting advisor, right? He shared with me the keys to running a successful consulting company and was really formative in the early years of values partnerships. There's a brother named Dale Jones. Dale runs an amazing executive search firm, one of the top five executive search companies in the country. It's kind of taken me under his wing and been a great mentor, a business mentor as well. I mean, a few things. One is, you know, I have just kind of a natural instinct towards margin, meaning I don't overspend. (laughs) And part of it is I have, and I 
need to trust God more. My wife gets on me about this all the time. And I, I have an irrational fear of the bottom falling out at all times, right? It's and, uh, and it doesn't make any sense. It's not rooted in numbers or reality or anything. But, you know, I grew up for a time on food stamps. My mom, before she married my stepfather, was homeless for a while. Like we, you know, I have seen, you know, by no means is it, did I have a bad childhood? In fact, you know, I was more blessed than, than many people that I know, but I've seen what it has been like to struggle and not wanting to go back there, I think has motivated a real kind of intrinsic focus on the margin of our work and making sure we're taking on the right projects at the right time. I made a mistake early on in the company and that I grew a little too fast and learned quickly that a slim down operation where you're growing slowly over time is more effective. And so that's I think that has been really helpful. Now we've grown and we're at the size that we should be. In fact, we probably need to add a couple more people. But, you know, right sizing our operation, I think, was really important. You know, just a small thing, but we have a daily call amongst our staff at 10 a.m. every day, and it literally lasts 10 minutes. I don't believe in long meetings. I hate long meetings, but we just, we quickly check in with each other at least once a day. I started this in the White House with our, we ran faith-based centers at 13 agencies, and we did the same thing at 1030 every day, kept doing it with values partnerships, and it's actually been surprisingly effective to just do a quick run through, make sure that we're all coordinated for the day. That has been really helpful as well. And learned, you know, a few basics early on, you know, one that people, when it comes to new clients, if you ask, you know, the old mantra, if you ask for money, people will give you advice. <laughs> and, and if you show that you can be helpful with advice, people will actually want to give you their money. And so we don't come off as too hungry. In fact, 99 out of 100 projects, we didn't pitch. They sort of came to us, do wow. good work, and people refer and you grow over time. And then finally, I've learned to not be shy about requesting that we be paid what we're actually worth. And that's a really important thing. If you know that you're you're providing an important service and you you know that your time is valuable. And you also know in our case that we try to make sure that any resources that come to us go back out to communities in some important ways. Then you have to hold the line about your pricing. I used to just sort of take every project that came our way and I realized that I was doing that at the expense of the projects that I was really supposed to do. I didn't have enough time. And so having a clear sort of strategy around pricing and realizing that every project is not for you. A dear friend of my wife says all the time, you can't dance on every record. And I realized that when it came to business, like, you know, I can't dance on every record. You know, every potential client is not supposed to be our client and God will lead us to the right ones. And so that's kind of a scattershot list of a few things that helped me out. But, you know, we've had a lot of lessons learned over the years, you know, finding the right accountant and bookkeeper and, you know, managing staff and, you know, building out a payroll and benefits package and growing in the right way. All of those things we've learned, we've built the plane as we've been flying, but praise God, it's gone pretty well so far. Man, I love that. Let me ask you, and you've poured out a ton of nuggets of wisdom just now, but what would be your one piece of advice, right, to the young social entrepreneurs that are on the come up, especially those of color that are trying to succeed at, at, at putting something, putting their own vision in play? Yeah, I think the bottom line is, Stephen, you know, one very practical thing is I recommend folks pay the IRS and then pay their savings before they pay anything else. And I know that seems very specific, but if you wait to save until the end of your business or monthly budget, too often 
you know, that savings just doesn't occur. And I think we, particularly, you know, as an African-American community where we need to be building more wealth and more assets, I think the most important priority that we can have is to save. And so that's one of the things I really encourage entrepreneurs starting out, even when, you know, there may not be a lot of money coming in, a lot of clients, a lot of customers, et cetera, is to get in the practice of saving for yourself and your family almost first. You got to pay the feds, (laughs) but after that... Pay yourself, not just your monthly budget, but your savings. I think it's very important. Such a good point, man. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take a quick break right here so I could share that in today's attention economy, you're either going to be remarkable or you're invisible because hard work isn't an advantage anymore, right? Because everyone is working hard. Tom Peters actually said that we are CEOs of our own companies called Me Inc. And so to be in business today, our most important job is to be head marketer for the brand called you. So branding isn't just for companies anymore. We must all stand out in the crowd. Our reputation, our credibility, business, career, and our opportunities are all wrapped up within our personal brand. It's time that we begin to brand ourselves, right? I know and I believe that your future opportunities and success, whether you're a business owner, college graduate, or a busy professional, I know that lies in your brand design and your digital footprint. And it's why I went ahead and worked with my team to develop the six-week online course called Brand You Academy. It's for busy professionals like you wanting to build that amazing personal brand and create consistent messaging across your digital footprint that immediately helps to differentiate you from the crowd. So with Brand You Academy, we are giving you immediate access to our brand knowledge, our technologies, and our proven techniques and tools that have helped us and our clients to build amazing brands and gain that credibility and trust, right, to be able to access those big opportunities. We're going to be opening our doors to our beta launch. This is our first cycle of Brand New Academy. Our doors will open on October 8th, and a course will actually begin on October 22nd. If you're interested in being among the first people to have access, I want you to hop on over to tbpod.com slash brand you. That's tbpod.com slash brand y-o-u and Add your name to our interest list. There's no risk. You can always look in on October 8th when we email you and let you know about the course. You'll be able to look in on a curriculum and see if it's the right fit for you. But again, we are running our first cycle. The doors are going to open on October 8th. We're going to be offering a steep discount to the people who take advantage of this first cycle in the course. And that will be the only time that we offer the steep discount. So if you're interested, now is the time. Add your name to the interest list over at tvpod.com slash brand Y-O-U. So listen, I wanted to ask you, because you've referenced your wife throughout this conversation, and I'm interested in hearing your take on what it's been like to work with your wife, Michelle. Yeah, Michelle is amazing. I would probably be sitting on the side of a road somewhere with my head in my hands, (laughs) wondering what this life is all about if it wasn't for Michelle Dubois. She's the smartest and most savvy person that I know. She serves as president of Values Partnerships. And what that means functionally is that she's pretty much our chief strategy officer. And so in the course of a day, I may call Michelle to ask, 
where we should price a particular client or how to resolve an issue that a customer is having. We'll talk through our staffing and make sure that we're motivating our team in the right way. She just, you know, I'm sort of the executor and she's sort of the brains of the operation. I think what makes it work practically is... Quite frankly, we have two separate offices <laughs> that aren't really <running laughs> And so we give each other a little bit of space. She also, you know, I think at this moment in our lives, um, kind of tilting my hours in the day on the work front, she's tilted a little bit more on the home front. But, that, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule. And then we break the categories, man. So, you know, we don't always do the traditional categories and chip in wherever, you know, help is needed. And so, right. yes, she does most of the laundry, but I do most of the cooking, right? You know, we, we, <laughs> I'm not super handy around the house. And so she's the one that manages a lot of, you know, if we need somebody to come in and do some work here, she'll take the lead on making sure that <laughs> that happens. And so I'm not the only one. Yeah. So, you know, part of it is not being so stuck in the way that, you know, folks have always done things that you don't do what's right for you. And right, that's right. been a really helpful thing. So I wanted to ask your thoughts here. You shared so much that you're doing in business. And I mean, the scope of all that you're involved in is much broader than I thought. But what are you learning about yourself from the process of growing the business while raising your son and daughter? Yeah. I've learned that I really prioritize time at home and away from business. I Meaning I love the work that I do. And this right. is not at all to denigrate it. I actually, I feel very blessed to own a company that's doing well and starting another you know, tech company and so forth. But I know that 10, 15 years from now, maybe less than that, you know, when my kids are in middle school and high school, I want that tilt in my life to be more toward home. And that's very clear about just who I am. And I've learned that, you know, just since having children. And that means that I've got to work towards that, right? I've got to, if God blesses us in the direction of being successful enough that I can pull back, you know, that's something that will take some intentionality and planning. I don't know if that means I'll be a house husband by the time, you know, my kids are in middle school, but I wouldn't mind it if, you know, we were so successful that it allowed us to have that type of flexibility. So that's one thing, you know, I've learned about myself. I'm also really interested in continuing to learn what I don't know and being very clear about that. You know, I've realized, for example, I am not the best delegator. I am not I don't know if it's a micromanager, but, you know, when you're in a relatively small consulting company, ultimately you're responsible for many things. And I've had to learn, you know, how to trust my team more, let go of the reins and just, you know, how to just completely step back. For example, I've learned that I cannot be on a conference call and not run the conference call. So I, if I don't <laughs> want to run it, then I just should not be on it at all. And so I've stopped. Wow. I've let my team just do calls without me because, you know, my natural instinct, I don't know that I have a ton of skills, but one of them is I think I run a pretty good call. And so when I'm on it, I need to run it. And if I shouldn't run it, then I shouldn't be on it. And so I've learned to like, let go, let other people run calls, you know, and I don't need to be in the mix. So basically, Basically, you know, learning my own nuances and some might even call them quirks and managing around them and bringing in the type of people who can smooth out the rough spots. Right, right. Coming back to the dad piece for a second, what's your advice to the other entrepreneur dads out there? You know, my advice for entrepreneur dads, one is be aware that there are going to be some times where your heart is going to break because you have to go to work and you'd rather be at home. And think about what you're, the ways that you're going to explain that to your kids in advance. 
and cultivate the type of relationship with your partner where they are affirming those messages, right? And, and where, you know, you all are on the same page about what you're telling your kids about your own absence, right? And so, you know, I'm thankful that my wife does not make me feel guilty when she knows I have to work. And I think having that type of dialogue and relationship where you're on the same page and your kids know that even when daddy's not home, he's doing something that's important for the family, I think is really important. And so, you know, that's one thing. Two is, you know, again, I go back to save first, save first, save first, even, you know, I don't care if it's 10 bucks or a thousand or 10,000, you know, make sure that you are putting something away every month for your fam that's beyond your monthly budget and beyond, you know, your balance sheet for your business. That would be another pretty significant one. And I can't keep going without saying, you know, I got all these plans and ideas and so forth, but I start every morning in prayer, man, meaning I really seek God's face about what he would have me do for an individual day. I listen for the prompting of the Holy Spirit for you know where I should go and where I should not go. I really try to spend time in the word. I have a great accountability partner for the many times, uh, thousands of times that I fall short, who sort of holds me accountable. And so, you know, that is, you know, you can do all the tactics and tricks and so forth, but most importantly are the moments that I spend first thing in the morning getting in front of, you know, the God of the universe and seeking direction. And then, you know, last thing I would say is, is finding some quiet time and quiet space. You'd be surprised at how much can get done between 5 and 7 a.m. That's the time when I'm usually out on the water kayaking and whatever your thing is, wake up early and get that done. It'll make the rest of your day better. Absolutely. Agreed. You know, I share so much with what you've shared here in this last piece. You know, I actually said the very same thing to my wife, Kristen, about, you know, raising the kids now with this mindset towards, you know, planning toward them getting into middle school and us having more of a lifestyle type business in Mm -hmm. the way that affords us the opportunity to be much more active at that point in time. Because right now they're in school and they're They're engaged, right? But middle school and high school is where I feel like we need to be engaged and with them a little bit more. And so, yeah, I'm working towards that end and saving towards that end right now with the hope that God's willing, we're able to be a lot more active in our parental roles at that point in time. And to your point, I mean, my wife is in corporate and in many ways, we both travel quite a bit, but to your point, man, you know, wait till your girl gets to about eight years old, man. Mm-hmm. It's a sensitive time, right? Where she wants daddy around and, you know, setting that tone, right? That yeah. she's very important, your son as well, you know, but letting him know that what you are doing yeah. uh, is all for the greater good. I love that too, man. Yeah, it's, it's so key, man. We were riding home from the, I came home around six o'clock today. We had a podcast at 8.30. So I was looking forward to that, but we said, you know, let's tip out to the park. So I took over from our childcare provider that was here and took the kids to the park. We had a great time. But then on the drive home, I'm stopped at a red light and my son is trying to tell me about the train that he saw. There was sort of a small train that's at the park that we go to. And I'm not paying attention. I'm checking, I'm using the moment at the red light to check my email. He's like, daddy, 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 you know, the train, the train. And, you know, I realized that, you know, I'm at work 10, 11 hours, 12 hours a day. I can take that time to be present. I can put it down, you know, and just be fully present and let them know that they matter more. And so I think you're exactly right. And that's, you know, always working on it, but that's where I'd like to be. 
I give you some advice that Kristen gave me on that. Listen with your eyes. Mm, that's good. Listen with your eyes because they pay attention to the fact that you even glancing at the phone and not and giving them the divided attention. Yeah. Uh, they tune into that. So yeah, I've learned with her, especially, you know, that I really need to dial in and give them that focus. And to your point, you know, tend to the work yeah. at a later point. But listen, we're about to wrap up, man. I could keep talking to you all night. <laughs> there are a couple questions that we ask all our guests before we wrap up our call. And so I'd love to ask, you know, what are some books that you'd recommend or are Blazing Asian add to their reading list? Yeah. Well, I guess I'll just talk about a few that I'm kind of digging into now. Ibram Kendi, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, is this book, Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. It's a heavy, wow. but it's an important one for me. And we realize, you know, history is around us, man. So I live in Prince George's County, Maryland. And I, I'm a history buff and I read and collect a lot. And one of the things I'm going to show my son when he gets old enough to understand it is I have a newspaper of a slave auction that occurred in PG County about 10 minutes from where our house is right now. So this is a predominantly African-American wow. county right outside of Washington, D.C. But human beings were bought and sold as animals around us and around where we live and, you know, in comfort right now. And I think that's just one small example of how pervasive, you know, what we have gone through as a people in this country is as a part of our daily lives. It's not limiting. You know, like I said, I'm in, worked in the White House, running a successful company now. And, you know, and so have been blessed through God's grace. But that doesn't mean that one, that there aren't folks for whom this history has overwhelmed them even now. And two, it doesn't mean that it does not matter and impact our lives. And so this book stamped from the beginning, the definitive history of racist ideas in America sort of catalogs kind of where racist notions came from in this country and has been um, it's eye-opening for me. So that is one completely on the other side, having nothing to do with those heavy topics. I'm really digging my friend Donald Miller's book. It's called Building a Story. Yeah, man. So Don is a really good buddy of mine. And I just just went down and did his story brand workshop. And I can't tell you how much I love the marketing methodology he's put together in this book and just highly recommend trying to build a marketing funnel. We're using it as we start Gage, the market research app. You know, very, very helpful. And, you know, one other kind of nugget, I'm a more kind of traditional, I'm like Orthodox Christian. And so this is a little different from what I would normally pursue, but I encourage people to learn more about the life of Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman was a tremendous theologian and Christian mystic almost, and has just written some of the most beautiful and powerful meditations that are the right types of things to help you start your day. There's a particular book he wrote in 1953 called Meditations of the Heart that I can't recommend highly enough. So it's called, it's Howard Thurman Meditations of the Heart. So those are a few that I might recommend. Love that. Love that. One of our last questions, I'm actually going to change things up a bit, but what's one action that you would recommend our Blazing Nation take this week that's going to help them to blaze their trail? Yeah. Wake up one hour earlier than you normally do and dedicate that time to God and to asking yourself questions about yourself and answering them in a quiet and peaceful space for you. And so that might be even getting up before the sun, but do that. Just You don't have to do it all week. Just do it one day. Watch the sunrise. Find that peaceful space first thing in the morning. That's one thing. The second one is going to sound real crazy and just, you know, very obvious. But one thing I've been doing lately, Stephen, that's just been helpful for me is I drink more water, man. I feel like so many of us are chronically dehydrated and that impacts our thinking, our actions, everything. I realize, man, I need to drink 
much more water than I ever have. So I've probably increased my drinking by 10 times in the last month. It has had a remarkable effect on energy and thinking and productivity and everything else. So, hey, I, I know that's, you know, again, kind of off the beat path, but drink more water and wake up early. <laughs> huge. It's huge, man. And I actually have been forcing myself to drink, if I can, down two glasses of water right before I go to bed and right when I get up, right when you get up. Oh, that. good. That's great. Oh my god. You're up in yeah. the middle of the yeah, night handling that, but it's still <laughs> But it's actually shown that it helps reduce the risk of like heart issues and, and all kinds of stuff when you consume that water before you go to bed as well as when you get up first thing in the morning mm. consume any food. So wow. great, great advice and tips there. Joshua, last question for you. First of its kind on a Trailblazers podcast. I was wondering if you could do us a first and close us out with a devotional. Sure, be happy to, brother. I'll go back to kind of one of my favorites. It's part of it is not written by me. It's, you know, a lot of these devotionals that put some scripture or like a poem or something. This one's in my book on January the 11th, and it's just called simply In the Heavens Open. It starts off with scripture and a poem. The scripture is 2 Samuel 22, 11. He mounted cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. And then a brief poem by a guy named Pablo Neruda. And the poem reads, and something started in my soul, fever or forgotten wings. And I made my own way, deciphering that fire. And I wrote the first faint line, faint, without substance, pure wisdom of someone who knows nothing. And I saw the heavens unfasten and open. And then here's my concluding thought. Isn't that what faith is? Walking right up to the edge of our present circumstance, closing our eyes, seeing the bright red sparks of possibility dance beneath our lids feeling the warm embrace of a God who wants ever greater and greater and greater things for us, whispering a silent prayer, and then we leap and the heavens open. Dear God, let me write the first line, make the first move, speak the first word, love newly and radically. Let me leap and let the heavens unfasten and open. Amen. And that's it, my friend. Amen. Joshua Dubois, thank you so much, my brother. No, this has you. been well worth the wait having you on. I'm so happy to have had you here. Man, it's a blessing and an honor. I'm a huge fan of the pod and just excited about all that you're building and your consistency and stewardship of this platform. So thank you on behalf of all your readers and just let me know how we can support you in the future. Yes. Actually, before I wrap this call, tell us how we can stay connected to you, Joshua. Sure. Yeah. My Twitter is just at Joshua Dubois. My personal website is joshuadubois.com and our business is Values Partnerships. Also, if you consider yourself an influencer or expert of any sort, search for Gage Research in the iOS app store, Gage Research. It'll be on Android soon, but search for Gage Research and download it. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tdpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved 
to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers.